please share our podcasts with those that are important to you. This is Doc Talk, presented by St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. Here's Melanie Cole. Benign prosthetic hyperplasia, or BPH, is the most common diagnosis made by urologists for men in the age group of around 45 to 74, and it's also the most common disorder of the prostate. My guest today is Dr. Praneeth Vamulapali. He's a board-certified urologist and the co-chair of St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital's Urology Service. Welcome to the show, Dr. Vamulapali. So what is BPH, and at what age do men start to develop an enlarged prostate? Well, first, Mel, thanks for having me. Uh, BPH, as you mentioned, stands for benign prostatic hyperplasia. It's a common condition that affects many men, uh, typically more so as they become older in age. Uh, statistics indicate that approximately 10% of men in their 30s uh, have symptoms, uh, and it progressively increases to about 20% of men in their 40s uh, to almost around 50% of men in their 50s, and uh, between 60 to 70% of men as they get into their uh, 60s and 70s and progressively more so, and that's based on autopsy studies that approximately 80% of men in their 80s have signs of this condition. Um, It usually presents with symptoms of difficulty urinating. Uh, It could be something as simple as feeling you have to go to the bathroom more frequently, feeling that when you do go that you don't empty yourself completely, or sometimes you feel yourself getting up more at night to pee, Uh, but those are all common symptoms that patients will notice. So how would you even diagnose? Because men don't necessarily want to come to see a urologist. Their partners mm-hmm. have to kind of get them in there to see them. And if you're right. doing your PSA or your digital, is that where you're going to find this? Yeah, and a lot of times it happens just from a conversation. You know, as you mentioned, a lot of men might not be reticent to come in and get seen by a doctor. Uh, it might be their spouse that kind of uh, gives them a little push to say, hey, honey, you know, you're getting up more at night or you know, we're stopping on the roadside more often to go to rest areas if we're taking long car trips. Maybe she get this checked out. A lot of times that conversation might happen with their primary care doctor. Um, and through their course of their investigation, if they have more urinary difficulties, the primary care doctor might refer them to a urologist such as myself. And during our conversation, we'll have a lot of those uh, uh, talks about what, what symptoms they're having, what are the bothersome urinary complaints that they're noticing. And it's usually on digital exam. Uh, we as urologists uh, really examine many prostates. We have an idea of what is normal growth, what is abnormal growth, what is enlarged, what is uh, normal size, and it's usually with a combination of the discussion that we have uh, with regard to symptoms as well as our uh, physical examination, which usually entails a digital rectal exam as well. Does BPH mean cancer? Do they go together? Please clear this up for men. No, BPH is a common condition. It's not related to cancer. It's usually just defined as a benign growth of the gland, which can be just hyperplasia, which means that the gland typically grows as men get older, uh, whereas cancer, prostate cancer, is a totally different ballgame. Um, patients with prostate cancer may also exhibit urinary symptoms and difficulty due to the growth of the cancer or tumor, but they're two separate entities. Doctor, if you determine that a man has an enlarged prostate, what's the first line of defense? Typically, we uh, try to we have what's called an international prostate symptom score that uh, is a survey that men will typically complete uh, when we speak to them, and that goes over a whole host of symptoms uh, with regard to urinary frequency, uh, sensation of incomplete bladder emptying, the force the force of their urinary stream, um, whether they are getting up many times at night, and through just them uh, being able to uh, complete that survey with their own symptomatic profile, we're able to get an idea of where and what degree of obstructive symptoms that they're having with regard to BPH. And as well, 
we have a quality of life score, which they're able to complete, uh, indicating how bothersome those uh, urinary symptoms are to them. And that helps us to stratify uh, how bothersome these complaints are. Initially, if it's just something where they might uh, feel that they're going to the bathroom more frequently, we might do a little uh, scan to see how much volume is left over in their bladder after they avoided. And it can be something simple as just doing time voiding to try to make sure that they're able to keep that leftover volume as low as possible. Uh, if that's not really helpful enough or if they're having more irritative complaints or bothersome complaints, then we might switch to a medicine. There's a lot of medicines that we have available. Uh, the, one of the primary medicines that we use are called alpha blocker medications, <clears throat> and they block a smooth muscle receptors within the prostate that helps to relax the gland and allow it, uh, patients to urinate a little bit easier. Uh, and that could be a mainstay of therapy, and that's a lot of what patients uh, would use, and they might not need anything more than that. There's alternatively other medicines that you know men see advertised on TV that are designed to shrink the prostate gland. Those tend to block uh, what are called 5-alpha reductase uh, enzymes and uh, receptors in the prostate, and that will, over time, typically help men to have a uh, decreased size of the prostate gland. And when, we talking, when we're talking about decreased size, we're talking about maybe a 15 to 20% reduction in the size, but often those medicines take many, many months to, to have any sign of efficacy. So patients might be on those medicines for anywhere from 6 to 12 months before they might notice a symptomatic change. But those are the first two-line medications that many urologists would use. Are there any complications if a man decides just to do the watchful waiting or not to have treatment of any kind? Is there something like erectile dysfunction or something that can start to happen as a result of not treating BPH? Typically not as a re uh, result of BPH. Men don't get any erectile problems or things of that nature. But sometimes if these symptoms do progress and we see many men, uh, as they get older, they tend to have problems that, you know, they were initially just symptomatic. Hey, doc, I was getting up more times at night, and that was reasonable. But now, for example, I'm getting bleeding, and, and that's more concerning, or they're getting infections or things like that. So oftentimes, if patients aren't able to avoid adequately, uh, and if they have larger residual volumes, they might be set up to form stones in the bladder and such from poor bladder drainage, and those could have secondary uh, effects that really have more uh, onerous symptoms for patients, and often they come in to get those symptoms addressed. So when do you start discussing some sort of surgical intervention with the patient? So I think most of us, we uh, would review medical options first with patients, see how they respond to it. Uh, some patients don't really like the idea of taking daily medications, and, and those patients, or if they've tried medicines and the medicines really haven't proved to be very efficacious, in that case, we would consider surgical options. Uh, and we have a whole host of things that we do that really can uh, deliver a good, durable result for patients. Uh, sometimes we do what are called uh, TERP procedures, and that stands for, it's an acronym that stands for transurethral resection of prostate, and these are procedures that have been done uh, for many years. Uh, and nowadays, we also have uh, more technologically advanced procedures, such as laser therapies. Uh, myself, because I also do a, a lot of robotic surgery, we're also able to offer patients uh, robotic uh, procedures where they have really large, large glands that might not be amenable to transurethral procedures that we can attack those robotically. Sometimes, as I mentioned, patients can get stones in the bladder. and We might need to open up the bladder to deliver those stones if they're quite large. Um, really, this the surgical intervention really is tailored to what the patient is experiencing and the anatomy of their gland and condition. So there's a whole host of things that we can do, but it really depends on what, what the patient has and how we can try to alleviate their symptoms. 
And if you use one of these surgical interventions, such as TERP, do they last then for the life of the man? Do they ever have to be redone? I think it depends on how much uh, tissue that the patient has. Uh, for the large majority of men, I think usually one procedure would really be a durable result. Um, but sometimes, you know, just like no no two men are, are the same, sometimes their genetics can be different. And sometimes some patients do get regrowth over time, uh, over many years, and that there is a small percentage, I would say, of patients that might need a repeat intervention. But by and large, I feel if you've been able to give the patient a diligent procedure and are able to give them a durable result, it would, it would does tend to last. But there are a few patients that, from anatomical reasons or from genetic uh, conditions, might have gland that really grows larger over time. It really depends on when their initial intervention was and over the length of you know how long a patient might live. Had a patient had really terrible complaints when they're in their 50s, and then you know 10 or 15 years later they had another complaint. You look inside and they might have some regrowth. They might they it's possible they might need another intervention. But it's usually uh, not as common. Dr. Vimula Pali, people assume that this type of technology, they, they associate it with big city hospitals. Tell us a little bit about your team at St. Luke's Cornwall and how you use advanced robotic and laser surgery options. Well, uh, our team here at, at St. Luke's, we've really worked hard to identify um, <clears throat> uh, one particular team uh, in our urology division that's able to really do a lot of these procedures. So you have one dedicated team that really just works in urologic procedures uh, and whether it's for BPH or for cancers or things of that nature. And we do a lot of um, gamut of procedures from uh, the traditional transuthal resection procedures to cystoscopic removal of stones with lasers uh, to laser therapy for the prostate to doing more advanced robotic procedures. We've done the entire gamut. And I think the real benefit with us is that we have one dedicated team, so it's the same nursing staff and the same technical support uh, surgical team that's able to kind of do these procedures. They get really uh, very acclimated to all these different types of tools and what we need uh, to accomplish a procedure. And I think that's really what's one of the benefits of what we have here. Uh, we're, uh, they might not be as large as a city hospital, but we have a large array of services because I think we have a dedicated team and the same team that does everything. In summary, doctor, please let men know your best advice about keeping a healthy prostate. Um, I think in terms of a healthy prostate, there's other things that could cause irritative complaints, uh, and that could be with the regard to lifestyle, with in terms of caffeine intake, uh, beverage choice, uh, things that have uh, high sugar contents or history, patients that have history of diabetes would want to keep, keep an eye on their blood sugars. Alternatively, things like uh, alcohols could also have a diuretic effect on patients, causing them to produce a larger quantity of urine, uh, as well as caffeinated beverages, such as teas or coffee, so you wouldn't want to drink any of those beverages before bedtime where you might end up producing more urine because of those eight. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is Doc Talk, presented by St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. For more information, please visit stlukescornwallhospital.org. That's stlukescornwallhospital.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.